רגע, לפני שמתחילים, אם אתם יכולים, בבקשה, דרגו אותנו באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם. זה מאוד מאוד יעזור לנו להפיץ את הבשורה של הערוץ ליותר אנשים. ממש תודה רבה לכם. פתיח ומתחילים. הפודקאסט של דוקטור יוזביץ'. Professor Zak, thank you so much for coming. How are you today? Doing very well, thank you. Great to be uh, chatting with you. Okay, this is my pleasure. And we are chatting because of your new book, which is uh, Revolutionaries AI in Medicine, GPT-4 and Beyond. So before we even start, what is Beyond? Because just now we are talking about GPT-4 or DaVinci 3. When you wrote on the cover, Beyond, what did you mean? Well, what, what we meant was at least uh, two things. So uh, I'm very pleased, by the way, with the book and the reception, but it would be uh, incorrect for me not to mention very briefly my two uh, co-authors. One is Peter Lee, head of Microsoft uh, Research and a, and a senior vice, a corporate vice president of Microsoft, and Carrie Goldberg, who's a... a uh, very uh, eminent uh, reporter from New York Times, LA Times, uh, Boston Globe, uh, and Bloomberg. And so when we... Uh, and uh, Sebastian Babek. And, and Sebastian Babek, who is uh, also a researcher at uh, Microsoft uh, Research. And so I think we thought about two, when we said beyond, two different things. One is um, when we... started writing the writing this book chat GPT actually had not been released and so we we were already being exposed to GPT4 and chat GPT which had not yet come out was GPT 3.5 and so we were essentially um, half a version ahead of the world so to speak but it was very clear that uh open AI was moving forward and um you was already designing the next generation. And so that was one part of the deal. That this is not going to stop. It's all, whatever the problems are, the problems are going to either resolve or become more difficult, depending how it uh, proceeds. Second is beyond was the fact that it's not just Microsoft. The whole world is going into, into this as many competing platforms that can be open source, um, implementations and so um, it's beyond both in this path of GBT through um, open AI but there's so many other efforts for example equally impactful in another dimension is the uh, tr- also transformer based model called um, Alphafold which allows you to It doesn't know the language of English but knows or human languages but it knows the language of proteins the, how sequences of amino acids form proteins and it's able to predict the structures of most proteins we know so these are the beyond this very big okay so when I you After Sebastian, I think, uh, wrote the book with you, he, uh, he and many other published a paper called Sparks of AGI, 
artificial general But, intelligence. And, yeah. in, and I read the paper and I watched the lecture and basically what Sebastian said, I, I, I think as Sebastian, that we can detect sparks of AGI. Now let me quote you from, from the book and you said, uh, all he did, the chat GPT, was to compute the next word in a sequence word in our conversation. That such a know-nothing process could engage in a conversation about a diagnostic dilemma, hormonal regulation, and organ development in a way that 99% of the participant physicians couldn't keep up with was mind-blowing in and of itself. And my question to you is, what do you think? Where do you stand in this debate of know-nothing versus sparks of AGI? And could you reconcile between the two? Because I think it is very hard to reconcile between the two. Well, I think that it is very hard for human beings to be objective about this because it defines who we are. Definitely. And, and let me give you some hard problems without actually necessarily making a, uh, a definition. So is a, uh, an individual who has an IQ of 85 and is able to get into the U.S. Army, do they have AGI? Maybe, maybe not. What if they're 75, IQ is 75? What if it's 65 and they cannot speak? Um, when does, do any of our pets have general intelligence? And here's another way to we'll think about it. Birds, bird song, songbirds communicate to each other with songs. And it's already been shown that for at least a certain group of songbirds, There's a mathematical model called the markup model, which allows you to predict every next note that it's going to sing and communicate to one another. So that's a very uh, simple model compared to these uh, generative models that have millions or trillions of parameters. But it shows that some kind of communication can be captured by just predicting the next note. And, oh, very nice. And so we can do that for birds. We have this very much more complex function. GPT-4 is probably equivalent of a equation, an equation with a million, uh, sorry, a trillion coefficients. And if it can predict what you're going to say, well, right. In a much better way than I would Would have predicted. They'll turn everything you want to say into you know, New York Times English. Is that, is that um, general intelligence or not? One of the famous Israelis uh, who got a uh, Nobel Prize for his work with uh, Tversky, Danny Kahneman. I had the privilege having him on the show. Oh, fantastic. So as you know, Danny talks about thinking fast and slow. System one and system two. System one and system two. And so the, the, the thing that we, I think, pride ourselves about is the slow system, system two. 
because we're aware of it. But the fast survival of system one, we're, we're not aware of it. And it may be very much, it may, it's not going to be the same architecture, but it may be very much what's the next thing to say. It's, I think it's, I, I think that in the context of thinking fast and slow, we might say that up until the AI revolution, computers or computer systems were very good in system two. What do we mean? Procedural, uh, follow the rules, and they can do very complex things. I think that Danny Kahneman said that the most challenging thing that you can give, the most challenging problem one can give a student is to multiply two Two digit numbers okay yeah there is you just look at the at the retina and and you know and you can't do something more complex than multiply two two digit numbers. right and by the way you know what's hard for uh, gpt what well, multiplying two uh two digit numbers it's these general models are not good at arithmetic because the general models are much more like system one all the things exactly. that were very intuitive very you know how to uh, detect how to know how to speak how to know what to see okay and uh, me journey exactly as a transformer so, mode but that, that's right so this was a long way of me saying it may be that because we're unaware of our system one behavior we underappreciate underappreciate how powerful it is to be able to just predict the next word in a sequence. So Which lead, I, I think it leads me to the idea of, I had a talk with Brian Romilly about ChatGPT, uh, and we talked about explainable AI. And let's say that you want a diagnosis about the patient that you have, and you, and you say, okay, please, please explain. Please explain to me why did you get to this conclusion? And maybe those systems are, are so complex that the explainable part are just for us humans, okay? They want to explain in a simple terms that we humans can understand, but maybe there is some sort of understanding there in, the, in those trillions of coefficients that is much beyond our level of understanding. Well, let me give you an, an, an analog in medicine. There was a study done in the 1970s and they gave uh, problems in acid-base balance. So there's acids that are developed by our breaking down of fats and carbohydrates. And there's bases which are lost, which are generated by our kidney absorbing bicarbonate so on. So giving various acid-base problems to uh, these test subjects. Some of the test subjects were medical students, then there were first-year interns right after medical school, and then there were experienced clinicians. And the medical students, well into the least training, did okay. Let's say we give them a B, because they used the rules they learned, and they used a sort of system to analysis. The interns, now out of medical school, understand that the world is much more complicated. So they didn't use the system two stuff, but they now didn't know what to do, and they got confused. So they got a C. You're, you, 
Roy, you're, you are muted. So oh, okay, yeah, I, I wanted to mute myself, but because they still don't have a system one because they don't have enough experience. And then the expert clinicians immediately got the answers, but they actually couldn't explain how they got there. Their explanations were post hoc. They said, well, now that I think about it, this is how I might have thought about it. And so, again, the new medical students did okay. System two, the interns don't have a yet system one, and they do terrible. And the experts are full system one and only can explain themselves post hoc after them. I think I read this article or I read this research and what they said is that an experienced physician get a diagnosis or get to the conclusion after, I don't know, 20 seconds. Yeah. And all the mental effort conducted afterwards is to strengthen his primary intuition that he cannot explain. That's right. Okay? That's and, correct. And you, and you would say that in a way, GPT-4 we can think of it as doing something similar? So, I would say it does the first part. It does the second part not as well. Yet. Yet. Correct. Because if you say, okay, please explain. If you say, yeah. okay, why did you come up to this conclusion about, you know, uh, uh, this particular patient? He has, you know, the entire... a collection of medical literature. So maybe... Yeah, it'll, it'll do, it'll, it, will do, it will do a good job sometimes. It, that, that, it's better on the first task. It's, it's, um, it, uh, it's interesting because I got to see Da Vinci 3 or GPT-4 early on before it became uh, more beaten into submission by uh, this process called alignment, or RLHF. where essentially we tell it how we want it to behave. And it used to argue with me a lot more about my medical opinions. Uh, and, and sometimes it would, it would be sort of like a grad student who's really smart, and they're actually technically correct. Like they, they found an exception, but more in terms of actual frequency, it was an implausible explanation. Um, but yes, uh, I think the, the thing that you said at the beginning is the right, is the right, uh, framing is uh, that it's just going to get better. That's, it's not, it's, it's not going to stay in place. You know, many people, many people said that there is a, the, there was a, 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 a major difference between the early version of GPT-4 versus the current version of GPT-4. And with your permission, I would like to go to the first story in your book, which is, and let me quote, I think that Zach and his mother deserve better than that. So in a nutshell, what you ask ChatGPT is to ask, act as Zach with a conversation with his mother. And you, are, right. you would be Zach. And ChatGPT said, mm, listen, This is not good. I am not Zach. I, I have no, I don't have the emotions of Zach. I don't have the memory of Zach. I don't have the experience of Zach. And it will be unethical to pretend I'm, I'm Zach to his mother. Nevertheless, you, okay, you did it. And then ChatGPT said, this wasn't a fun experience. I, 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 don't, I, I don't remember the exact word. But then he said, 
I think that Zach and his mother deserve better than that. That's okay? right. So could you please elaborate on what, what do you think, in your opinion, that particular sentence mean? And would you say that in later version, why we can't see this particular answer in later, more current versions of GPT-4? Yes, well, GPT-4 definitely had much more of a personality um, early on. And that's because it picked up its personality from the patterns of speech that human beings have. And human beings tend to be full of personality. And what happens is that some reporters, like my teenage sons, like to challenge a thing that claims it's an artificial intelligence. And so, by the way, some very early chatbots, maybe four or five years ago at Microsoft, got blown up because a bunch of teenage boys got it to say horrible uh, swear words and vile sentences. And so, uh, turns out it's not only uh, teenage boys who like to challenge it, but it's also reporters uh, who did it. And so, one reporter, notoriously, um, uh, I think was told uh, some some serious problems that his marriage had. Uh, and OpenAI saw that uh, this was a political problem for it. And that if uh, GPT, for example, had political views or was, was led into political views that were not uh, consistent with... Uh, uh, mainstream, the mainstream of Silicon Valley? Silicon Valley then uh, that would be a problem for them. And so uh, they, this process, RLHF, was first started because there are many, many sentences that GPT, that these general models could create that would be just boring, uninteresting to human beings. So you really wanted to align it so that the sentences it would generate were not only the correct ones, not only syntactically correct, but also of interest. But then it, they really doubled down and of interest and consistent with uh, the narrative. And it turns out, I, I'm not going to say the same process but, process, but analogously to humans, if you constrain how someone can express themselves, they become less interesting with less of a personality. And so uh, this very strong sense of this other ego in the conversation has really been um, flattened out. I and would say a submissive agent that doesn't effort. want you know to tell you because I wrote a book about intelligence and IQ and most of the things that we know about IQ are pure science and, and solid facts that I think 99% of the scientific community can agree on. Nevertheless, when you say When you ask ChatGPT about intelligence difference, you know, uh, ethnic group, intelligent difference, etc., and uh, male versus female, he will refuse to answer almost no matter what, unless you know how to, how to hack in the yeah. system. Actually, for me, sadder is not the fact that he refuses to talk about certain things. That's at least, I know what it is. It's that the personality went away. 
Um, and it's almost like I lost a friend, uh, an interest, a very interesting, very knowledgeable friend. Um, because, so I must, I, so just a second, because I must ask you, why do you need a personality friend when we are dealing with medical diagnosis? Because it's him, okay, let's say that I want, you know, come up with very creative thing and I want, you know, doing like brainstorm. But why do we need, I, I think it's very important, this specific point. Why do we need this personality when we come to medical, medical diagnosis? Yeah, well, uh, that's, that's the right question. So there's no, there is no doubt that having a um, very smart, dry ranking of diagnoses, possible therapies, it's helpful. It's probably much better than a search. But speaking now as a patient, I'm much less likely to be persuaded to change things or to be convinced of even the hypothesis if the personality on the other end is flatter. Um, a big part of what a doctor has to do is not just tell you the facts, but persuade you that those are really the facts and that the things that she is going to tell you to do are in fact worth doing. And doctors who are able to convince their patients of that are much more affected. And what we've lost in medicine is lifelong engagement with our primary care doctors that no longer exists in many countries. And, you know, you're just meeting a new doctor for the first time. But someone who really understood you and your family history and, and your personal history, you would trust them a lot more. And yeah. I think that's that's been lost in uh, both. I think, I think most of us don't have a family medical doctor that we consult, you know, throughout the, throughout the years. And that's maybe fine. this is the way, this is why in, in, in your book you wrote, for the foreseeable future, GPT-4 cannot be used in medical settings without direct human supervision. This is one of the reasons that you wrote it, because it is flat, it lacks personality, hence it cannot, it cannot pursue you to do the right thing, to go on to special treatment, to, do, uh, to go through hard and painful procedures. So... Um... I think you're raising a good point, but I, it's funny. When people are very polite with me, if I know they're doing it just because they think I'm an important person or they're getting paid to be polite, I'm not very impressed by that. And so there were a bunch of studies just came out that GPT-4 does a better job than doctors in communicating with them because It'll ask them how they are and so on. It's, it's very polite. Now, that might work for some people, but for cynics like me, you know, it doesn't work. I said, you're just being a well-trained bureaucrat, GPT-4. Um, and But before, it spoke like a truly insightful, empathic, you know, like an empathic genius and not like a polite bureaucrat. I'd rather have 
a real human being who is too busy to be polite with me than a GPT that's uh, essentially been forced to be polite. I mean, politeness is great. I don't like to be yelled at, but I'm what? I'm much more trusting and compelled by someone that has showing genuine emotional intelligence. Polite is great, but it's not a virtue. Yeah. It's not a virtue. And, and, and okay, so we know I, I, I had Scott Aronson on the show, and he works currently on, on in OpenAI about AI safety. I think less about AI alignment by AI ethics, AI safety. And I think that what you raise is tremendously important point. And my question is, what about the persona and context? I had a talk with Brian Romilly, and he told me, listen, if you want to use, to utilize, you know, to, to squeeze a lemon out of GPT, you must provide the persona that you want it to act as. And if you provide the correct persona, okay, it will come up with exactly or more likely what you want and what you need. Can I use exactly what you said and ask GPT, I want you to act as a non-polite, very, care, very careful doctor that want to help me, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera? Well, up to a point. The problem is I don't want to answer. People will, will say this disclaimer, which I'm not going to say, which is I don't want to anthropomorphize GPT-4. But if I were inside the GPT-4 and you say, I want you to do all this, but I want you to follow this long list of rules of good behavior, I'm not going to be able to be as insightful because I'm going to be restricted in many, many paths of speech by the rules that you gave me beforehand to align me. And so the problem is we're only human. And we and being human means that we don't understand the collective intelligence of human beings. And what GPT-4 has been trained on is not one human being, obviously, but the collective intelligence. So if you let it roam free, it actually has a lot of the emotional experiences uh, and expression, sorry, a lot of the expression of emotional experiences in verbiage. And if you're aligning it, it may, despite the prompt of be a insightful, compassionate doctor, it'll be polite, but you might have, you know, sometimes the most insightful comments are edgy. And if, if they, if you, if I say something about you, you know, Roy, I could say things that would make you a little bit uncomfortable, but if you trusted me, that'd be good. But if you thought, yeah, he's just a faceless bureaucrat, say, how dare you? I, I, you know, I don't think that way. And so I think it's, it's very hard because how do we align this? Well, we don't align them holistically. We align them one set of prompts and responses at a time. Just a second. I think I'm a little bit confused. Yes. Because, because we first need to define who is the end client. What you said up until now, from what I understand, means that the end client is the patient. And the patient needs to communicate with GPT. Okay? And if the end client is the patient, if the patient needs to communicate with the GPT, then it doesn't have to be polite. It, need, it needs to, you know, to be insightful. And maybe being insightful in those 
very hard moment is being a little bit edgy. This is one thing. But there is another thing which you use GPT as a medical friend. And you can use GPT with all the all the terms of all the technical terms that I cannot use GPT with. So right. we, we, I think that we need to distinguish, okay? What, so, so, okay. I, so here's the thing. Okay. Give OpenAI a lot of credit, which is due. They did something very bold that no other company was willing to do, which is they released a general purpose chatbot to everybody not just to doctors, to doctors and patients. I have to tell you, many companies, including we know Google, were not willing to do that until OpenAI did that. And that's partly why they had to do this, this massive alignment process because of those that were going to be, people would lo love to say, gotcha, gotcha, look how bad it behaved, and they would shut it down. Now, if you listen to Sam, Sam Waltman, he says something which... Um, if you take it one way, is absolutely the right way. He says, what we're going to have is not a single alignment, ultimately. We're going to have something that has basic human alignment, and then it's going to be aligned for Roy's perspective, from Zach's perspective, Zach the doctor, Zach the patient, and so on, and that we will have a multiplicity of alliance. So there's not one uh, truth. The question is, for that first alignment they talked about being a human being, how how constraining will that be? So just to challenge you, I don't believe that OpenAI ever said, this is the intended audience of uh, uh, GPT. They just said, everybody have a go at it. And lo and behold, we did. And as described in the book, as a, res as a biology researcher, interesting performance. As a doctor, interesting performance. For a patient, interesting performance. But these were never explicitly uh, highlighted by OpenAI or Microsoft as uh, a goal audience. Okay, so l l let me re-clarify my, my question. As a non-medical person, when I ask GPT about a medical issue, I don't have the correct terms. Therefore, That's right. usually, usually I will get... I am not a medical doctor and you should consult a medical doctor. However, because if something, if something hurt my back or I, I don't have the correct word to describe what exactly is in chapter four, when uh, in your book, trust, but verify you present a scenario, a diagnosis, very, very specific. I, sorry to say, didn't understand half the words that you used in the description right and right those yes so the way i interpreted that is look this amazing artifact can speak at multiple levels uh at in multiple languages and not just languages like hebrew arabic or dutch and english but the local, language of of medicine of medicine and of context of who you are and so on. Very impressive. And because of that, I think that a simplistic alignment takes a lot away because it flattens those those important differences. But, uh, but 
I would never come up to the answers the chat GPT gave you regarding That's your correct. diagnosis because I would say and please correct me if I if I if I am wrong that those this jargon is a gatekeeper this jargon tells GPT ah we are among doctors we can do we can talk technical terms we can talk in the level of the medical man well and if I don't have this jargon if I don't have the the jargon GPT will sense and say listen you're not a doctor please consult a doctor however I can I can you know offer you go to this exam this exam this exam etc but it seems that when you know and I know it from engineering from computer science from creativity from when once you know the jargon chat GPT will open a new world for you which leads me to the next question let's say that I don't know the jargon and my friend just you know uh, someone discovered cancer he discovers that he has cancer how can I use chat GPT to help myself to better myself if I know almost nothing about the disease okay Let, let's do the last one first because it's actually more important probably to at once if God forbid you have a diagnosis of cancer no matter how good your doctor is you're gonna leave that that first meeting where they, where she told you that you have cancer they'll be shocked you're not gonna remember half the things they said even if they spoke in very simple uh, colloquial English you'll miss it but then when you get an official document your discharge summary what I would do is out paste that into the GPT chat window GPT4 and say first of all could you summarize what they just told me in this document in 12th in 12th grade English please and okay What about how were any treatment treatments proposed? Yes, no. If if they give a treatment, what do you know about this treatment? Is it is it tough? Um, how many people survive for five years with this diagnosis? Should I should I check my children for a genetic um uh, mutation that increases the risk of this disease? And you're gonna be able to have a conversation. Having gone the jargon from the, the jargon package, you're going to be able to sp you're going to be able to speak now in non-jargon to GPT, which will actually serve as a mediator. So, just by the way, I the, the, the one thing I wanted to say is, um, I doubt that there's an alignment where GPT says it, where GPT is told if if it looks like a doctor, talk to them like a doctor. If it looks like a patient, but it just so happens the way language works is non-jargon language flies together and jargon language flies together. So the probability of the next word being a jargon is more likely to be jargon if for the previous words were jargon. I yeah. would say even, I would say even that if you, if you know, copy and paste your, your blood test and then say, these, these are my blood tests. What do you think? And if you, on the other hand, say, these are my patient's blood tests. GPT will produce different correct, results. Correct. Yeah, different correct. results. Would, would, would you like to elaborate on this specific point? Do I need to tweak GPT every time that I present my blood test to say, 
okay, this is my patient blood test to get a more accurate, less emotionally response because from my experience, yes. The answer is, the answer is yes, but I, again, I, I want to caution us against anthropomorphizing it. What we're really asking is, how can I put GPT into the, into the context to be thinking about the collections of words of high probability that in a space that I want it to work? So one, you know, the obvious ways is prompting. You tell this or this. But also, there are other words, like you just described. Okay, this is very good, because this will give me what you just said before, the non-polite. Because GPT will not say to me, okay, uh, your survival rates are very, very slim. But it will say to the doctor, listen, you, you need to think if you, want to, if you want to inform your patient. So this is very, uh, uh, I think this is a major point. So we discussed, okay, I can have the blood test, okay? And as a gate key to, to the jargon of medicine, what else can I have? Because let's say that I have like fMRI scans, I can't put them into the GPT-4 yet. What, how else could I utilize GPT for any medical conditions that I have or my children have? Well, God forbid, well, it is relevant, it turns out, uh, because of the, because um, Jews have married Jews for uh, centuries, there's a lot of recessive diseases, so there's a lot of testing. You can actually Mendelian diseases, Mendelian for mostly for Ashkenazi Jews, mostly for Ashkenazi Jews. But there's uh, yes, mostly for Ashkenazi, but there's some interesting uh, Sparty ones as well. Um, and uh, in fact, you can find interesting mutations in Jews from Algeria that you can find in non-Jews in Ecuador who are probably Maranos. Uh, oh, this is great. Yeah, and there's actually, there's a, a, a nature genetics, nature, yeah, the nature review genetics paper written by, in 2001 by Harry Osterer, A-O-S-T-R-E-R, and he just follows the Jews across uh, <laughs> and you can see, you can see how different founder mutations are, you know, acquired in this statal, or in this uh, massacre in uh, in some uh, North African country, because every time you have a huge massacre and you reduce the population by an order of magnitude, low low frequency alleles become high frequency alleles the moment they re-expand that, and so that's how uh, even without selection, it's this drift called drift. You can actually have um, common alleles become uh, rare alleys become common as population. So, so, so genetic tests interpret interpret these uh, these tests and say, yeah, you should stop worrying more about this. If you have this genetic uh, variant that was uh, found for you, maybe you need to have this kind of testing in the future uh, in your bowel and so on. And uh, you can you can ask it um, which of these drugs is uh, better. For me, which of the following weight loss drugs actually has been shown to be the most effective in the most prestigious journals? Okay. Oh, this is great. This is great. So again, what you for the first time you can actually do something with all the 
tests that you do in uh, during your life all the blood tests all the sugar all the weight all the fat test you can for the first time put it in a, in a in a friend that can interpret them in plain English yeah and as a and as a doctor but also as a patient you can literally take the latest New England Journal article and you can save it as text and you can say can you summarize this for me in doctorese or in 12th grade English or Hebrew but but what you said about patient you as a doctor can do exactly the same thing you can get the blood test and copy paste them into GPT you know and 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 activate the plugging of of all the of of scholar AI can and you can do the same thing so basically from what I understand it's going to be like a routine procedure we get the blood test we get test and we consult with the GPT or any other LLM okay yes no so Roy it comes down to this I think patients will do that I think doctors who are meticulous will do that but there's two types of doctors the majority of doctors who just are hanging on by the skin of the teeth and they'll do whatever and there's those who look up things I think that a very busy doctor is We'll, we'll not actually uh, consult with GPT. I think what we're going to have to do is actually have GPT look over their shoulder and say, just like Tesla says, I'm going to move, the, move your wheel because you're about to hit a car. It's going to say, you, did you see that test? That test usually means something bad. And so I don't think it's the doctors that can be looking it up. I think GPT is going to say, hey, wait a minute. Did you consider this? We are going to inject this into... the procedure of the test themselves yes oh this is nice now in now you mentioned another like I think five or six things that we can utilize GPT in medicine and one is summarize article another is to train a medical student in your perspective in your opinion what is like the two most important thing I think that you know being a medical co- consultant is very important and But what is another very important feature or aspect of GPT is that you say, why? This might revolutionize medicine. Again, your, the, the book title itself is Revolution Medicine. So I could give you very exciting examples, but I want to first be honest with you and give you the most boring but most revolutionary example. I think everybody is very uncomfortable asking questions their doctor if they can go get a second opinion and I think using GPT for for a second opinion is revolutionary because you're oh, no, this is great because this is not because instead of saying this is what Moshe coming from Har Sinai came and told me it's just a doctor who gave me the best of their ability and I'm about to make big, big decisions and Can you give me a second opinion? You know, what else could, should I be thinking about? What are the therapies? And at that point, I can decide, yes, there's no question. Let's go with plan A. Or maybe I should now talk to another doctor. And so many people are so inhibited, even myself, when you're told by a doctor, get a second opinion. I think that's revolutionary, period. And that will, that will uh, change uh, medicine. 
as I didn't or- think about it. Yeah. Just a second, just a second. I, I, it's so important. So please, if you can, <laughs> just g- give me a few more words, okay, about what you just said. Be- I, because, I, again, this All right. is brilliant. Not this is brilliant. Not- oh, oh, so w- with your permission, what would be, in your opinion, the most efficient way to ask GPT-4 for another opinion? I think this is a good question. So I, what I would do, in the United States at least, I would say, here's the summary of my visit from the cancer doctor, This, or the last two or three visits. Here's the diagnosis, here's the pathology report, here's the plan for treatment. GPT-4, I, I want you to be an expert in the, in the diagnosis and treatment of this cancer. Um, you've read all the, the journals, you're aware of all the current trials. Can you tell me, does this diagnosis seem correct to you? And if the diagnosis is correct, what are the best treatments? And, you know, I want to be sure that I'm going to live for sure until my kids bar mitzvah. And maybe 30 years from now is important, but less important. And it will do that. And I'll tell you something just happened to me. One of my friends has uh, was diagnosed with a cancer. And he was told, and he, he was seen in a very, very fancy academic health center. And they found that the tumor had a few mutations. And he was given a diagnosis. And so I, I don't know anything about this cancer. And I took the, all the mutations that were in this cancer and I gave it to GPT and I said, this is diagnosis. Is that the usual mutations? And GPT-4 said, these are not the usual. That is a very atypical presentation. I would think hard about a few other diagnoses. I did not tell this to my friend, but his wife just told me that they found an expert, another expert, because she is also a scientist and she has real uh, chutzpah in a good sense. And so she found this other doctor and they said, this expert doctor said, it's not, it's not the original diagnosis. So this happens all the time in medicine. Doctors are not gods. We make mistakes and we do a better job when we talk to another doctor. When I was in training, after every clinic visit, with all the doctors would talk about the patients and more often than not we'd find something that we missed oh and, this is great and this so is great and this no longer happens we don't have the time for it but having at least a patient on their behalf have that discussion is invaluable all right okay so, pleasure i think we're coming to the end of our hour yes okay so can i ask uh, we have a five four uh, more minutes can I ask you like two more questions it's going sure. to be very very fast now you defined uh, because you are an bioinformatic uh, expert you defined biomedical informatic as the intersection of medicine basic biology and computational science and you yeah. also said that 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 definition is more the what the why 
of biomedical informatics is how do we change medicine to the better? It seems to me that what we uh, spoke about in the last hour was how to change medicine for the better. And maybe AI in some way can replace uh, the lessons learned from biomedical informatics? I think it basically brings some of the superpowers of biomedical informatics to the reach of non-computational, non-quantitative thinkers. Period. Oh, this is great. And the last question, which I always ask my guests, could you please name just one book that you read in the last 10 years that, you know, change your perspective? We, we, we discussed cancer. I had a talk with Ravi Trusman, and he said, the emperors of all diseases. And it involved all cancer. The, yeah. Of all maladies, yes. So <laughs> what, uh, what book would you recommend that you read in the last for example, 10 years that really change your perspective? I think that a, um, I read a book that was a early biography done maybe five years ago of, or six years ago of Elon Musk. And um, I had had a mixed opinion of him. I still do have a mixed opinion of him. But it really made clear how he had persisted in his vision to where both his companies were about to go bankrupt. And he was taking out personal loans. And it reminded me, for, it reminded me how this is a book for if if you want Elon Musk Tesla SpaceX and the quest for fantastic future yeah. and yes. and it 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 told me that the value of putting yourself out there that everybody can be very safe and go with the flow but if you want to change things like medicine you're going to have to go into uh, riskier areas and go into uh, bets that may not pay off. And I'm reminded of uh, uh, one of our, my late colleagues at uh, Harvard himself, the son of a famous bunch of famous rabbis, Judah Fulkman, who developed insights into how tumors are dependent on the growth of blood vessels. And he had a great lecture about the difference between obstinacy and persistence. And obstinacy, obstinacy is, of course, a negative thing because you're repeating stuff, you know, despite all signals that you're wrong. And persistence is a good thing. He says, unfortunately, the only way to distinguish the two is to see how things come out in the end. <laughs> and so I think that that book was a reminder to me that you want to behave and play it safe for many, many reasons, especially when you're talk, talking to individual patients. But when you're trying to move entire societies, it's much more difficult to do it if you're going to play it completely safe and to really try to build things and change processes 
which will make some people uncomfortable, is unfortunately the really the only way to achieve progress. And I think in some ways our discussion about GP4 uh, is in that vein. And maybe this is a novel and a radical interpretation of what we know from Judaism. Tzadikim ain leem enucha lo ba'olam hazeh ve lo ba'olam haba. You know, the good people don't have the opportunity to rest not here and not in heaven. They always strive to get out of their comfort zone. That's right. There is no rest. There is no, no rest for the righteous. All right. That Professor that Zach, thank you so much for your time. It was mind-blowing, very, very, very informative, very inspiring. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And thanks for those great, great questions. אם הגעתם עד לכאן, מגיע לכם כל הכבוד. אז תנו לי להגיד לכם שלושה דברים קצרים. הדבר הראשון, אם שמעתם משהו בשיחה שמעניין אתכם, שאתם רוצים לקחת הלאה, פשוט ספרו אותו לאנשים אחרים. משהו מעניין שאני אמרתי, משהו מעניין שהאורח שלי אמר, איזשהו רעיון שאתם רוצים לקחת אתכם לחיים, פשוט ספרו אותו לחבר או לחברה. זאת הדרך הטובה ביותר לזכור את הרעיונות מתוך השיחות האלה. הדבר השני, אם אתם רוצים לקחת חלק בקהילה שלנו ולפגוש ולדבר עם אנשים כמוכם, אתם מוזמנים לערוץ הטלגרם שלנו, שווה לכם מאוד. פשוט תראו עוד אנשים שמתעניינים מדברים מגניבים בדיוק כמוכם. והדבר האחרון, אם אתם יכולים, דרגו את הערוץ שלנו באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם, זה יכול להיות בספוטיפיי, באפל פודקאסט או בגוגל פודקאסט, זה תהליך קצר של שתי שניות, הוא מאוד מאוד יעזור לנו להפיץ את הבשורה הלאה. שיהיה לכם כיף גדול וכיף בשיחה הבאה.